today I'm welcoming to the UMC Lead Podcast, the Reverend Jennifer Goto. How's it going, Jennifer? It's going well. Thanks. Good. Uh, you want to take a minute and introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. I'm a United Methodist pastor out in California, in Northern California, and I serve as a half-time appointed pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in downtown San Jose. And then I also have a halftime gig at San Jose State University working in community-engaged learning. Excellent. And you were one of our original lead speakers at LEAD 2012 in Las Vegas. Yes, that was a fun time. Yeah. Um, do you remember what your talk was about? Actually, I think your talk was one of the few we had video of, although... I'm not sure where it is. We'll have to find it and maybe, <laughs> and maybe attach it to uh, to this post when it goes up on the on the internet. Take it out of the vault. Yes. So I, at the time, was in campus ministry um, solely, and so I was talking about um, a few a few different things. But one of the ideas was about rather than putting a few adults in a variety of dying congregations to gather them up together to start new congregations um, full of life like they had experienced in campus ministry. And then mostly, though, I was trying to challenge us to not be afraid of being different, um, not being afraid of success, or I think I said not being um, afraid to fly. And so... Um, I still try to remind my own self of that on a regular basis. Nice. There were, I'm remembering in your PowerPoint, there was something with, there was a map and there were dots on the map. Do you remember what the dots were? Oh, I actually don't remember the dots. That's like the one, every time I think of your talk, I think of there's a map and there was dots and it was like, yeah, the dots, we got to do the dots. And now, um, yeah, so we'll have to go back and watch that. We'll have video. to go back and watch that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, how has your how has your thinking changed since that that lead talk? Um, what's how have you evolved, and how have your thoughts um, evolved on on all those things? Well, basically, um, shortly after that, I moved to a place where I tried to prove myself wrong. Um, so <laughs> I became pastor of a small congregation um, right across from a university. And tried to figure out how to, um, within a congregation that was, you know, exploring the idea of do we close, do we stay alive, what do we do, um, trying to figure out how to be relevant to the young adults that were surrounding us on campus and in the neighborhood. So I think one thing that I um, still believe is that we are often afraid of trying the new things, the innovative things in the church, in part because we think we might fail, but mostly because, um, for me anyways, it's that I might succeed. And um, in some ways, I'm afraid of my own potential and our own potential as a church. And um, what happens if we really do um, transform the world and transform our congregations? Um, so what's, what do you think is the, because I've thought of this in the past, and I think a lot of pastors and a lot of church leaders think about this. What, what is the, um, 
like and, and especially i've i've done a new church start and campus ministry and such and um sometimes i get paralyzed because i'm like oh wait what if this does work like what's the i have a couple thoughts but i want to know hear what your thoughts might be on like what is it like is there anything specifically you can think of that that we're afraid of or is it just like we're just afraid of we won't know what to do next i think i mean one piece of it is that the next thing is going to be a lot of work. Mm. I think, I think that's one practical piece of it is not, not being sure what we would do next. And the other piece is knowing, okay, if I do have, um, for example, a new congregation of young adults and people really start showing up, that's, that's a lot of work um, to be following up and ministering to them and, and all of those pieces. And I'm not sure that I'm, I'm always unsure that the, um, the support I have around me is going to be able to handle all of that work, um, knowing I can't do it myself. I think the other thing is that anytime that we are pushing against a system that in some ways is sort of kind of working for us, um, and we push against that and we break through that and we find out, oh, something else is going to work better, then it ends up shattering all the other pieces of a system, (laughs) you know, it ends up shattering our illusions and that can be a frightening, um, a frightening piece to an edge to walk up against and then say, okay, I'm willing to poke at this, um, a little bit and knowing that if you poke at it, it might just fall apart. Mm. So how do you, how do we move past, past that fear? How do we get past that anxiety? My, my first thought is that we do it together. I think that's one of the things that has been really empowering in my own life here in San Jose is finding some like-minded people that are willing to take on different, different things together. So one of the places I've seen that is I'm part of um, an organization and a movement called the Beloved Community Movement here. And we've been working together for almost two years now to try to um, build trust and community between police officers and um, communities that feel um, not unsafe at the hands of police officers. And so what we've been doing is bringing people together for dialogue and trying to create spaces where people can truly share their stories and hear one another, but then also pushing on pieces of this um, system that empowers uh, police officers to not um, treat all of the people in their community um, as humans. And so we have been working on different pieces of it. And what ends up happening is that you end up being exposed to the fact that this entire system is meant to create an us and a them. Mm. And so now, because I've been poking at this, I have to go back and talk to my kids about when they want to say, are there good guys and are there bad guys? And that everybody in jail is a bad guy. You know, things that 
make us feel better about the system. And when you start poking at it, then you realize, oh, that's actually not true at all. And mm -hmm. so it makes you call into question everything else. So if I were just doing that on my own, I think I'd get so scared, I'd back away from it. But because I'm doing it in a community of other people that some of whom have been doing this much longer than I have, and some of them who are new um, as I am, I'm able to keep showing up and keep coming back to the table and the conversation without having to do it only on my own. It's less scary because we're together in community. Yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the breakthroughs um, you've been seeing? Um, I, I'm thinking of what you're doing. This seems, this sounds like the work, especially in, I mean, it's always the work, um, but especially thinking about the next uh, four years and um, working in congregations that are divided uh, politically and have never really dealt with controversy um, or social issues uh, very well, at least in the vast majority of, of United Methodist churches. Um, how does this, what you're doing, like what, what have you learned from it that might help us um, within our congregations? So one thing that I've learned is, once again, the value of listening and being willing to hear someone's perspective without um, casting judgment. So hearing from young people who have a completely different experience than I do with the police, for example, um, being willing to listen and not ask questions like, well, what did you do to make that happen? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but just really sitting and listening to the whole story and trying to hear it from their perspective, I think was is one of the things that I have learned and has affected my congregation as well as they've sat in those circles. I also feel that as a faith community, sometimes we can too easily go to a place where we feel like listening is enough. And so how do we allow hearing those stories to change us, to change our prayers, to change our actions, to change the places that we commit our resources to? So in leading a congregation, as we are working with community members, for example, that don't come to our church, as we're listening to our neighbors and hearing the things that are on their hearts, I always try to lift up the idea that their prayers become our prayers. And so when we have neighbors that are fearful of deportation and they're praying that their parents won't be separated from them, then we are joining them in that prayer, um, that we are joining them in the prayer to keep their family together. That it's not something where we just allow them to pray, but that we pray along with them. And that changes some of our actions as well. Um, What's the, the relationship been like with the, uh, with the law enforcement agencies throughout this process? So... Until recently, I would say that it's been very good. We, we have good relationships with the police chief here in San Jose. 
and at all of our larger events, police officers have come, have joined circles, have done listening as well as sharing. We've had different testimonies from police officers sharing about their experience, and we try to hold that up as well. But ever since the election, our a different group of police officers, which is the union here, the Police Officers Association, for some reason they have felt um, a need to discount the work that we've been doing and discount the value of the dialogues that we've been having. Mm. And I think in some ways it's a response to fear on their own part with police officers uh, being shot and targeted, but it's also a response to the national um, conversation and and the way that the election has and the results of the election has continued to put um, black and brown people and their bodies at risk. What do you think is the, what's, what's the response to that? Is, is there a response or is there just sort of like a, a cooling off period um, that's needed or is it just, you know, kind of more of the same, um, you know, trying to move forward and keeping that invitation ever present. Um, and then, but in realizing maybe there's only so much we can do. It's, it's been, it's been really difficult to not respond solely from rage and anger (laughs) to, so the cooling, the cooling off period has happened and again, with community. So being able to come together with other leaders who also feel uh, betrayed in a way by the fact that we kept putting ourselves out there to be in dialogue and then to be told that that didn't count in some way. Um, So what we're hoping to do, though, is we really believe that part of transforming um, the system of mass incarceration and the system of police brutality is to transform the hearts, not only of people in the community, but of law enforcement officers. And so it's continuing to reach out to those who are willing to both listen and to share and to continue to push on different policy changes. So the dialogues that we're doing The next one is January 12th. And so if all, I don't know if people will hear this before then, but we could definitely use prayers around that, that people will be willing to come back to the table and keep talking and keep listening. But I think that there is a righteous anger um, that is just below the surface of all of this work of trying to, to help people to understand that, that the, deaths of people at the hands of police officers far outnumber the deaths of police officers, first of all, and that also that there is a a responsibility on behalf of um, the communities at large to really explore what's causing, what are the root causes of, of these Um, differences and the root causes of the violence rather than blaming um, for example black lives matter when 
at least in our local area, that has not been part of the the problem here. Yeah. Well, let's um, to move on to something um, less controversial. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the current state of the United Methodist Church? See what I did there? I see what you <laughs> did there. So much less controversial. So I am finding myself become, um, I'm becoming more and more focused on my local congregation and the work that we can do here. And I don't know exactly what has caused this, but I know that the result of it is that I'm finding, I'm finding hope in the future of our United Methodist Church because I see what our Wesleyan theology and what our ways of organizing and our polity can do here in this place where I live. So we are organized not only um, as a congregation, but with other congregations in our local area, United Methodist congregations. The pastors meet regularly um, every month. We call them circuits. And we're finding ways that our congregations can collaborate together as well. And these are different congregations, um, different theological understandings, different cultural and racial backgrounds, different languages spoken. And to be able to come together and to seek support from one another and also to challenge one another has been a very life-giving practice. So I guess my hope <laughs> is that what we experience here locally, others can experience, but I know that in some ways, we're in a very unique place here in San Jose that we have such diversity yeah. in one local area that others have to reach out much farther in order to have that experience of collaboration with people that have um, different theological backgrounds as well as um, cultural backgrounds. What are your hopes uh, for the church? So... My hopes for the church have more to do with following Jesus than institutional security. I believe that our first call is to be faithful and that being faithful is more important than surviving as an institution. My my hope is in Jesus. And so I know that this is, this is Christ's church and that it doesn't need, um, I don't need to be the one to save it or to protect it. <laughs> and that even should the particular denominational structure that we currently have not exist in 10 years, that Jesus will continue to use the body of Christ um, as a way of being present in the world, that the church will continue to be used that way. So I don't have a lot of fear around the future of the denomination. I, I, I just truly trust that God is, is going to make something out of all of the disruption that God is going to create something new, what, whatever it's called, and that 
perhaps this is as uh, to bring it back around to what we were talking about at the beginning, maybe this is part of the poking at something and then noticing that then it all starts falling apart and how scary that is. But if we do it together, we're able to, to keep going and to see what's coming next. Yeah. I like that. Amen. Um, last question. Uh, what are you excited about uh, right now? It doesn't have to be job related. Um, just, uh, yeah. What are you excited about in your life right now? So I'm excited that I am entering. Um, so it's been four and a half years since we moved to San Jose, which makes this now the one of the longest times that I've lived anywhere as an adult. And so I'm excited about what it feels like to truly begin to be rooted in a community and to have a support system around me that includes people in the United Methodist Church, but also those outside of the United Methodist Church. And I'm excited to see what we can do together to see how that affects where my kids go to school and shaping the culture there, as well as in my neighborhood, in my congregation, and in my work at the university. To see all of those connected because I've been here long enough to create strong relationships. You realize you just jinxed, jinxed yourself, right? I do. I'm really hoping yeah. my district superintendent does not listen to this. <laughs> off, off to um, Sparks, Sparks, Nevada for you. Wait, yeah, Sparks, well, I'm pretty uh, sure no, it's Ely. It's Ely that's Ely. The, the furthest one out there. Yeah. 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 But then, I, you know what? God will teach me something. God will teach me something. Exactly. You are such a good and faithful servant. <laughs> Well, um, it has been awesome uh, catching up with you. Um, I've been inspired uh, uh, by hearing about your work um, and uh, just uh, great to check in and um, great to have you on the podcast. And um, I think uh, we'll be, um, be able to connect in person soon, which is also exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. Well, um, thanks again uh, for being with us and for our listeners. We'll talk to you next time on the UMC Lead podcast. Take care, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye.